Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars now for a long time, is all I'm going to say. I think this Two is years. Yeah, 254. Um, we're continuing. Wow. We have guests signed up for the rest of January, about two a week. Sharon Wilsey will be back, of course, and we're working on some other great guests. So just be sure to join the murdochmethod.com email list and go there. And then every Sunday, I put out an email with the coming guests for the week. Um, today, of course, is one of our faves, Rebecca Husted, who is back yet again. Woohoo! Is this number seven? Uh, seven or eight. I'm not sure. Seven or eight. We do have a playlist for Rebecca, so you can always go to the Surefooty Kind YouTube channel and look up her playlist if you want to just catch all of her webinars. That's totally cool. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me on this lovely evening. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. I make you a co-host. Let's make sure I did that. Yeah, I think I did. There we go. And uh, Rebecca, just like the Tiki tour of your accolades so that if someone who is watching this that has never seen one of your webinars. Uh -oh. oh my goodness, is there anybody like that? Uh, no, Susan. So I'm a firefighter. I teach technical large animal emergency rescue. Um, usually I go around all the globe, but I've been sort of cut at home. I'm hoping to end up in Alberta in a couple of months. What am I thinking going to Alberta in March? I have anyway, no clue. So, uh, we we really work on the on the safety thing. That's that's really my shtick is is working on safety and trying to make things safer for horses and safer for their people. So, and uh, so today in that theme, we're going to talk about. Uh, I don't have a barn, and so now what for my horse? And really, that comes down to you know if you don't have a barn, uh, if you don't want to have a barn, or if you lose your barn. And sadly, Wendy, there's a lot of people lose barns. Uh, I actually got a text today from one of my peeps up in Indian, Indianapolis, and uh, she was on her way to a barn fire, and they already knew that they'd lost some horses. So I don't have the details on that yet, but I'm sure that we will. Um, I want to say that this presentation is dedicated to the member of Grant, Grant Plank, great friend of mine um, via Facebook up in uh, Spruce Haven Farm in Ontario. And he brought out a lot of these ideas originally to me um, about what do you do if these kinds of things happen. And uh, sadly, we lost him to cancer uh, last year. So uh, let's get into this and start talking about uh, pastured horses and barns and those kind of things. Wendy, you know, barns are major investments, uh, especially a, a barn that's safe is a pretty major investment. We've talked about a lot of the things that are safety considerations for barns in previous webinars, and you guys can always look that up. Uh, if you have opinions or you have questions, you can always send me an email or a, uh, even call me. And I'll give you some opinions on what works and what doesn't work. But the biggest thing is there's lots of ways to lose a barn. And uh, that may be fire, it may be flood, it may be wind, it may be those kind of things. And if you got to reconstruct one or you're looking at building one, uh, <laughs> did you watch what happened with the lumber prices in COVID? Oh my God. When the, when the supply chain changed, it, everything went crazy. It went absolutely haywire. So, you know, even building a simple barn can be thousands and thousands of dollars. And there's lots of reasons why people may or may not want to do that. So, um, you know, when you take a look at doing that, uh, a lot of people say, hey, you know, why don't I just buy more property and less barn? And I'm sure your horse would probably appreciate that, too. So it really comes down to a lot of people can't afford a barn. And then, of course, if you lose your barn, um, this would be some examples. This just happens to be from New York. But. Uh, tornado, windstorms, freak windstorms, uh, bad building practices that uh, cause this. You know, these days, if you go through some of the grant programs to try to get 
um, some as assistance with building barns and those kind of things. Even if you live in Georgia, you are going to be forced to use some of the hurricane clips and those kind of things that they use to really strengthen barns to prevent these kind of wind problems. But something that's a little older, uh, they may not have used those kind of things. A lot of people in the agricultural industry, which the horse industry is in that, often are not uh, forced to use code uh, re restrictions. And thus they end up being a little simple pole barn, which looks great until Mother Nature comes knocking. And uh, that, that and takes by the way, this can, we had a shed in our field and I drove away and came back an hour later and it was flipped upside down. A wind had come over the one shed, the utility shed hit that thing and just tossed it. It was amazing. So even your sheds, exactly. and they're not cheap either these exactly. days. Exactly. I've got a picture of one of those somewhere in this presentation for that exact reason. You know, I always remind people you got to stake it to the ground, even though you think it's happy. So these are other examples. Everything from uh, tornadoes to snow loading. Snow loading me because if you live in those kinds of places where you get a lot of snow, uh, people that are building these kind of barns or um, architects, etc., they're supposed to know what the snow load average for your area is. And there's really not much excuse for that. Uh, I understand that every once in a while there's some freak thing, but it is amazing how many within the last five years built barns or, and arenas end up on the ground. And, and that's absolutely terrifying. Some of the people that I've talked to that this has happened to, they say that they're standing in the barn and all of a sudden they start hearing those weird sounds and and it, of course, they were smart enough to get everybody and the animals out of the barn because they realized something was happening, and uh, they imploded the entire in, entire barn. So very, very dangerous. And of course, that is a financial loss, but a potentially also an, an animal loss too. So there's tons of examples. If you do a little bit of uh, roof collapses on barn things on Google, it's pretty terrifying how often this kind of happen, things happen. And it, it happens to the fancy barns too. It's not. It's not just a little, you know, things that somebody built um, out in their backyard. So sadly, that's, that's a pretty common thing. So huge investment to lose. This is, there's zillions of, uh, for those of you that haven't sat in on my webinars before, there's plenty of webinars about barn fires and, and how to prevent barn fires and these kind of things. This is just an example. Uh, another example, this one was actually last month. Um, you know, they managed to get all these out. And I, that's why I use these pictures, because I was like, yay, we actually got them out. That's wow, awesome. Wow, that's amazing. Because uh, normally they don't. And, but there was somebody in the barn. They realized that there was a problem. They didn't screw around. They called 911, and they started getting their uh, folks that had, had thought through the process of how do we get these animals out. And they started catching horses and leading them out and chasing them out. And they actually got them out of that, that barn, which Where is a this? huge barn. This is up near Elgin, up in um, Illinois. And they do have some training through their fire department um, related to what I do um, through their uh, IFSI, the Illinois Fire Services Institute, and even Dr. Deke Carls, who is one of those really weird birds because he's a firefighter and a veterinarian, and he works with their IFSI in their state. And they've been putting a lot of this information out. So we're starting to see... You know, the people are doing the, the prevention and thinking through their responses, et cetera. And so I was pretty excited about that one because that's a huge barn. And, and yeah. you know that that could have really been a problem. So anyway, uh, so then the question comes when you do lose your barn or you don't have your barn, what are some of the kinds of things that we have to think about if we don't have a standardized barn? 
And really what that comes down to is what is sufficient shelter for your horses? Um, you know, how are you going to get the hay and water, especially if you're on, under emergency since, you know, here, we just lost our barn. How are you going to emergency handle the water and hay access and those kind of things? And then, of course, those of us that have animals that are out together in herds, you know, how do you make sure that the old horse gets his supplements? How do you make sure that so-and-so gets their medication? Um, how do you manage the feeding situations? Uh, all that. There, that is not really my expertise. I'm just going to touch on some of those things. But there's a lot of expertise that's out there for those kinds of situations. Um, how do you make sure that, you know, the, the ones that have special things like geriatrics or mares and foals, how do you manage them separate from your standard, you know, five-year-old um, horses? And then, of course, are you going to have to change your fences around to manage your herd of horses? How can you do that under emergency circumstances? Do you have um, the simplest thing, of course, is some electric fencing. If you can put up that electric fencing, you can manage a herd of horses really quick using those kinds of ideas uh, to, to set yourself up for success under a short term gain. Of course, it's always nice if they've had a little exposure to those things ahead of time instead of waiting till <laughs> a disaster. Because I promise you, somebody's going to touch the fence. It's just going to happen. And it's probably going to be you because they're going to bump you against it. <laughs> you know it's happened. It's happened to me. It's awful. Anyway, and then of course, how am I going to have to change my schedule or my employees if I have employees, et cetera? Um, are there daily management issues that you're going to have to think about? And then of course, when the bad, not just bad weather, but the really bad weather comes, what am I going to do about that if I don't have a barn? So, you know, a disaster mindset says I should practice all these things ahead of time before something really happens. But I understand that that's a sort of a difficult thing to do. And it goes with all the other things, the homework-wise that we've talked about before, Wendy, about you know thinking ahead about all the things that I might want to do. But then, of course, here comes a big pandemic, and this is actually Grant Plank's farm up in in Canada. And uh, the day that Canada sort of shut down because of COVID, he sent me this picture. This is the front of his farm, and he said, "Nobody comes because we've got to figure this out, right? You know, all of a sudden, the country is telling me that." You know, we can't move around. So does that mean employees? Does it mean, you know, who's those, those first days of the, the pandemic? And everybody's asking those questions. Who's essential, right? <laughs> in Georgia, they said, oh, well, if you drive a truck, you're essential. <laughs> but okay. in other places, <laughs> in other places, it was a little bit pickier, right? So anyway, um, so what happened here for a lot of farms and in many places around the world, they still haven't gotten over this. There still are owners out there that have not seen their horse yet. There are still horses that have not um, come back into the barn because of labor shortages and lots of other things. There's a lot of things that changed because of COVID um, where owners couldn't come to the barn, the employees couldn't come to work, or the employee was dealing with you know, a, a sick family member or something. They had legitimate reasons not to come. The supply chain shut down. Uh, I remember going to my Purina dealer um, and saying, hey, guys, have you been watching what's going on in the news? This is before we actually shut down here in the United States. And I said, uh, have you all been watching what's in the news? What's going to happen to my Purina feed if, if there's a supply chain issue? And, and the guys were like, oh, this is Purina. This will never happen. Okay. Well, it wasn't too bad at our local area, but of course I heard lots of other things. But that day I bought 10 extra bags of feed because I was like, mm, I don't think we're going to take a chance on that. 
So I didn't buy toilet paper, but I bought horse okay. feet. <laughs> Uh, and the, you guys know how all that happened, right? But if you looked around and you started looking at these things, well, the first thing that a lot of big places did was they started turning horses out because they realized, holy crap, we don't have enough people to manage poop and bring in all these things. And the supply chain has been affected. And hey, we don't normally feed round bales, but we're going to start feeding some round bales because I just don't have enough people and enough time in the day to manage all the other things for this barn. And oh, by the way, now it's the owner of the facility that's having to do the work because you don't have enough employees. And we all saw some of that kind of thing happen. And, and that's just what happens during the disaster. But it was a really good eye opener, I think, for a lot of folks that those some of those big fancy horses that they thought couldn't live out in a barn, uh, couldn't live out of their stalls, they could. So I'm not going to go into a lot of details on this. I will tell you that if you don't think that um, you know, horses like to be outside. You can talk to your veterinarian. They'll tell you pros for, for why they should. This is pros for having a barn. A lot of it comes down to convenience. It comes down to makes it easier to handle, particularly if you have borders and those kind of things. We're all familiar with that. It makes it easier for us to process the people more than the, the, the humans. Sometimes that's just because they can't even catch their horse. But the sheltering, those kind of things. But a lot of it comes down to the convenience for us. And of course, it's that human thing where we want to look like what everybody else is doing. So you can, we could argue about a lot of these kinds of ideas, but um, this is sort of what we have as far as pros for having a barn. And I'm, you know, I love going in a barn too uh, as a human. And when I go in these things, Wendy, and I know you've been in some of these too, and you're walking around and you're like, oh my Lord, this is so beautiful. It is beautiful. But do horses think that? They're like, we don't care if it's a pole barn or whatever, as long as I'm getting out of the flies, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's actually, you know, because my horses actually loved coming in the stalls and getting out of the flies and Al would snore so loudly you could hear him outside the barn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Know? But he has a rougher life. He lives out. And I think the point of this is, you know, it's it's sort of a gilded cage and it's sort of more for the needs of the humans, particularly since I'm looking at that and, it, and it's so totally closed up, although that one's probably air conditioned and, and everything else. But, you know, is it? The oh, it's got windows. It has outside windows. You can see those. So I know. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, what's really funny, though, when I started thinking about this and, and putting this presentation together, I was laughing because, you know, when we. Even people who are not horse people, if you say being put out to pasture, even a non-horse person thinks, oh, well, that must be an old person, you know, or that that's a person that's broken down or something. So even in our in our urban usage, in our lexicon, under normal language, um, you know, it's in our literature, et cetera. And really, it's in our recent human history. Uh, I noticed on your website, you had a thing about the Pharaoh Ramses and, oh, yeah. and the first evidence of actual stables. And that was about 3,000 years ago. But really, the, the evidence for stables um, on, a, on a grand scale really has come into to being over the last several hundred years. And that was just because we got much better at being able to do those kind of things. And we got larger communities where you couldn't just toss the horses out to the pasture because now the horse pastures were five miles from the center of town. So now it was just easier to, to have the centralized stables. But, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me that all those things are part of our lexicon because nobody really says, you know, they say, hey, meet me at the barn. They don't say, hey, meet me out in the pasture, <laughs> you know? And, you know, they don't say, hey, I've got some chairs set up and you want to have coffee in the paddock, you know? We don't do those kind of things. Well, 
honestly, we do those things, Wendy. <laughs> this is my husband and one of my horses, and we do those kind of things. We sit out and and we we have found that we learn so much more about their behavior by being out there in the pasture. Now you will notice that the orange little thing that's next to him in the chair, that is a stick. That is to protect us because they're 1200 pound puppy dogs and they will come over and knock things over and, and all those things. Uh, the gun was for the shooting. It was not to shoot a horse. It was for, for shooting. So I know somebody's gonna see that and say, oh my God, Rebecca, you've got a gun. Well, we were shooting things. So we have targets in our pasture too. You get some used to the But you don't aim at the horses. Let's just be clear about it. No, that. we do not aim at the horses. And what's really funny is they usually stand behind us while we're shooting. And uh, yeah, anyway, that's that's rednecks in Georgia, baby. That's just yeah. the way it is. I couldn't um, figure out how I to crop just the picture. And about out of your, your car in the paddock because horses seem to have a propensity wow. to chew on paint and eat seats. <laughs> and we do not leave the chairs in there. They have to be supervised because they're like five-year-old children. That's just the way it is. And I always have a stick with me. Just That's just for our safety because they do dumb things and decide to have fights right on top of us or whatever. Anyway, I thought it was funny. And the, the lexicon thing is really true. You know, it, it's pervaded everything that we have in the English language um, because we're, horses have been such a part of us for so long. But some of those things we probably need to change, like going out to pasture is probably a good thing for horses. So what are some of the cons for having a barn? Um, and there's a whole laundry list of these things too, but I will tell um, everybody that's listening that a lot of it comes down to what we've learned about behavioral welfare and health. And you can talk to your veterinarian about it and ask them to be honest. And, and most of them will tell you that the things that we see in horses that are kept and i'm not talking about horses that end up spending a few hours in stalls i'm talking about horses that are in stalls for 18 hours a day 24 hours a day they get out one hour of of exercise and they come back in even the spanish riding school and those kind of places you know when you go visit and you look behind the scenes you realize that they get out and get some exercise but they are still standing in, in stalls and and standing stalls for a lot of their day so the the veterinarians will tell you um the the farriers will tell you that all those problems with respiratory health and hoof and leg and overall health problems they may look good when they're kept in a stall for many many hours but uh they will not be actually healthy so um and then of course one of the big things is everybody always worries about injuries and they say oh my god when i let him out and i say well no wonder because it's like a five-year-old if you let a five-year-old out on the playground and he's been trapped in school all day, what's he gonna do? He's gonna run around like an idiot and get himself hurt. And that's just what they do. They run around like idiots if they live in a, in a pasture too. But uh, the other thing that veterinarians will tell you is they see those, those developmental issues over time. In young horses, they see the bone development issues. They see uh, arthritic changes in older horses. I always tell people with older horses, please don't put them in a stall because then they go down and then they're cast and then they get hurt trying to get themselves up. And then we have to try to roll them and do all those things. The older they get, they need to, they need to be able to move. And I, I get locked up. If I'm sitting here for an hour on this webinar, when I go up, I'm gonna go, oh, yeah, yeah, cause I get locked up just being there. And then of course the problems also for having a barn are you're dependent on that supply chain and labor availability. And of course, nobody wants to work these days. I don't know if you have that same problem, Wendy. I think a lot of people but, are taking early retirement. It's, mm -hmm. you know, and you yeah. have to think about the fact that you know there's we have an aging population in the horse world too. That a, yeah. a lot of the people that have horses are in that 45 to 65 category or older. 
Um, and I think that's what we're seeing is just people deciding. And here, here in the United States, we've gone from 9 million horses back in 2003 to about 7.2 million horses uh, as of 2017 numbers. I'll be interested to see what's happened over the pandemic the next time they do. The, I had a um, very uh, interesting conversation with Julia Broadway from um, uh, uh, American Horse Council. And the mm -hmm. number of adoptions has gone way up because of the pandemic, which is fantastic. Yep. So yep, there's fantastic. been some positives in the horse industry actually as a result of the pandemic, which is kind of nice. Yep, I think it's sort of it's sort of leveling itself out now. So thank yeah. goodness. Well, and, and of course the, the price of horses has gone out of sight too. Mm -hmm. You just because people yes, can't it find has. a decent. Yes, the, the 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 things that are going at sales these days, some of the nice sales, it's just crazy. Yeah. Even trail horse sales, you know, yeah. they're $30,000 for a trail horse. Yeah, no, it's. And then, of course, the big one that I always hi hi you know, highlight here is what if you don't own the property? If you're leasing the property, you don't want to go build a barn. Um, you're going to want to build something that's portable that you can get it out of there. Yeah, uh, you don't want to invest in somebody else's property and, unless they're paying you back for it. So, right. you know, those kind of things for, for those kinds of situations. We talked about the gilded cage. We talked about the key wel welfare stakeholder really is the horse. Um, and us trying to to meet those those friends freedom forage those five freedoms of uh, letting that horse have more behavioral health and being with his buddies and those kind of things. And, and the reason I know they want out is because we look at these things and some of these things have been in some of my other webinars. But when I look at these cages and I, I mean stalls, <laughs> and and I think, wow, you know, it looks so cool. And there's good reasons for having stalls. If you've got a horse that's injured and he's on stall rest, he's got to be in a stall. Um, and then we're going to do the best that we can to give him the opportunity to touch and be able to get uh, move and and get his forage controlled and those kind of things. But it's still a cage, which from my perspective is, can I evacuate him, you know, and particularly for barn fires, but also from all the other things from behavior, welfare and um, and health as well. So. I'm trying to get people to start thinking about what happens if I don't have those stalls, I don't have those barns, because these horses are telling us that they want to leave. And we have talked about before that in large animal rescue, we tell people, hey, you know, the horse decides to leave, whether you like it or not, he tries to leave, and he's in this situation, what's the first thing we do? Get a halter and a lead rope on him, bring him a buddy, try to keep your voice down, don't panic, give him some feed and hay or some alfalfa or something to keep him distracted while you come up with a plan. And then the second thing you're gonna do is call a veterinarian and call 911 because there's not really much that the average horse owner can do if your horse is hanging over the stall front. Um, it's, it's really dangerous. If he, if he actually pulls it loose, he can really hurt himself and he can really hurt you. Yeah. Um, if he panics, slings his head around, all those kind of things. So get some help from 911 and call a veterinarian and get them on the way. Because in many of the, some kind of sedation protocol, um, getting the animal to be calm from a chemical per perspective, just to keep the people safe as well. So anyway, I had to put a little bit of large animal rescue stuff in here, Wendy. It's okay, totally fine. <laughs> That's just the way it is. And. <laughs> And as we've talked about before, the other thing, the other part of this is making sure the barn fire escape plan, you have stall doors to the outside, you increase your turn up time, you do the basic things for electrical and fans, 
Hey, Rebecca, um, can you hang on a second because my laptop grabbed the wrong internet the connection. Best way to do that. Yeah. It's breaking up and I need to switch it. Okay, so okay. hold on for a sec while I switch internet connection. Okay, are you back? Yep, I'm back. Awesome. Yeah, it, my laptop wants to grab the external instead of the internal. It's just two feet away. Okay, never mind. That's okay. I'm, so, <laughs> and then the last thing that we always try to emphasize when it comes to anything associated with the barn is make sure that you have gotten look with your local fire department and done a walkthrough so that they can tell you the safety hazards, the fire hazards, and you can minimize those kind of things so you don't end up losing your barn. So, anyway, so let's move on to the next thing. We already talked about that. What's ideal for the horse? Um, you know, this is really ideal for the horse. I want everybody to know for, you know, full disclosure that everybody would love to have a piece of property like that. And most of us can't afford it. I would love to have hundreds of acres. Uh, she put these photos up and I was like, oh my God, my horse would love it. Anyway, uh, I know that most people can't afford that. And I, and there's lots of reasons why we can't afford that. But if that's our, really our goal, how can we get a little bit closer to that for our horse? Because our horse would really like to have that too. Full disclosure, I do not have a barn. <laughs> my horses are outside. Uh, I do have running sheds, and I'll show you some pictures of that later. But I manage my herd really close to try to, to manage my little 20 acres uh, for six horses um, very closely and, and try to be as successful for them as possible. But I didn't want anybody thinking that I had a barn. Um, one of these days, maybe I'll have a barn as an option. That's what I would really like it for. So what are my pros for not having a barn? Um, it really comes down to it's convenience for the humans. It's really convenient for me because I don't have to do all that maintenance stuff. I have to do maintenance in my pastures. I don't have to do maintenance in the barns. And thus, um, I work, I spend my extra energy on manure management in the pasture, um, composting, those kinds of things. It's a little bit different. Best thing is I get to be outside instead of in the barn. Uh, and of course, from the respiratory health and, and all the other things that we talked about health-wise, that will um make it much better for the horses uh less expense um i don't know about that usually it's cheaper to buy property than it is to buy a barn but that may or may not it depends like cherokee county here in georgia it's extremely expensive to buy property um, and particularly it may be expensive to buy a barn um, less maintenance financial costs maybe so you sort of have to put those things in quotes and then uh you know I don't have to worry about barn fires, that's for sure. Uh, I've got great ventilation, those kind of things. But for most places in the world, um, a simple shelter is more than sufficient. Uh, a run and shed, tree lines of shade, windbreaks, those kind of things is really all we really need. Uh, there's some examples of these kind of things. It can be as fancy or as not fancy as possible as you wish to do. But most of these are 10 or 12% of the cost of building a barn. Uh, depending on how big you want it to be and how many horses you're trying to do that on. But what's really funny, Wendy, is when we start talking about health and we start talking about running sheds and these kind of things, the first thing most people bring up is, well, all it's going to do is turn into a mud pit. And I go, well, did you spend the time to make sure that you got a good loafing surface area? Because you know horses, they're going to come together and they're going to stomp and they're going to stand there and they're going to do all the things that they do. If you haven't done that effort at, at setting yourself up from success from the very beginning, you're right, you will have a mud pit. And it'll be a mud pit underneath the run, run and shed, which is even worse. And if you don't make sure that the water runs off of it correctly and all those things, 
That's why I tell people, this should be your backup plan, your disaster plan for your barn. And if you play around with it a little bit, you'll realize, hey, you know, I can do this uh, relatively easy and, and play around with it a little bit. It's gonna take a little bit of money. It's gonna take some tractor work. It's gonna take, for most people, um, you might even need French drains and those kind of things, depending on how much water you've got. But it can be done with the addition of some of the geotech fibers and things that are available these days and a little bit of uh, gravel and those kinds of things. So I mean, I, the first thing I, when I looked at that picture, the first thing I thought of is, wow, somebody's done a good job on the, on the area, on the, on the groundwork. And that's exactly. so important because, you know, the, it's a high traffic area. And as soon as you have a yep. high traffic area with any kind of animal, you really need to think about what you're putting the building on. And where I live in Georgia, it's either really dry, dusty nastiness and blowing away, or it's clay that's absorbed all that water and it's turned into the slimiest mud ever. So, and there's hardly anything in between. So it really, you have to have this, the base to be able to um, have this kind of thing. And you got to think ahead. It's, uh, you know, I, I pulled some pictures from around the world of people who've done things. Some of them, you know, this is, that's, they've spent some money there. Oh, yeah. This, they didn't spend as much money. That's technically just a little pole shed. Uh, they, they did have dimensional lumber, but um, there's nothing fancy about that, but it works very effectively. And, uh, you know, you can see they've got a really nice, Life, nicely well-drained footing right now. I don't know what that's going to look like in, in the mud. Uh, I'm not sure how much gravel's in that, but uh, there are some other options that I'm going to show you guys for that too. Um, you know, this is one, a girlfriend of mine, she put this up and I was like, man, that's really awesome because she's got her pasture paddock and you notice she's just using electrical for this. Uh, and then she's actually got her little running sheds with some stables or stalls that she can can choose if she needs to put her horses in there. She's got rugs for her horses, probably more for the sand, for the sun than it is for the for the uh, the cold. And then she's got her little little area right there that she can double that as an arena. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Now I know that's not one of those fancy arenas. It's got the really fancy footing and stuff, but. This is more than sufficient for a lot of people that have a small number of horses and they aren't doing anything really fancy. So, you know, where hey, is that's this cool. one? Do you know? Be cool. Uh, that is somewhere in the UK, you know, and okay. you know how that is. It's always raining over there. Yeah, I was going to say it looked like the Netherlands actually was my first guess, but UK, yeah, yeah that fits too. Yeah. So, you know, what are some of the cons for not having a barn? Um, you know, it is it is challenging. You have to have a separate place. Where are you going to store your hay and tack and feed and all that kind of stuff that just sort of collects around horses? Where do you put your freaking blankets? Where do you put all those things? Um, it is true. You may end up having some, perhaps build some kind of a shelter or whatever. In Georgia, I have found that it does not matter what I do with my tack. If I leave it outside in August, it's going to be nasty. And even when I used to have a barn with my <clears throat> previous ex-husband. I've been through a couple of those. Anyway, that's a story too. Anyway, uh, what I found was that in August, they were going to turn green. I don't care what I did. I had dehumidifiers outside. I had in the, in the tack room or whatever. didn't matter. It was going to turn green. So what I did was I moved them in the house and I have one portion of my house where I have all my tack and leather stuff because I live in Georgia and it's, it's just too humid in the summer to put it anywhere else. So, and guess what? That solved a lot of my problems. So it was a bit of an investment because I've got them in the house. But 
Other problems that we have for not having a barn is, is places to socialize with other humans. We like to do the barn thing, you know, um, no place to groom and saddle the horse. Maybe we have to make something separate from that. Uh, it is a little bit more challenging to figure out based on personalities of horses, uh, you know, how do we do the feeding separations? Um, how are we going to feed the horses that's going to make them uh, if we have medications and those kind of things? It does make it a little bit more challenging. And what it means is that you've got to manage your horses better and uh, you got to pay attention better so that your old horse doesn't get sent off to the side and, and everybody else eats his food and that kind of stuff. And it is true. It looks a little different from what other people have. And I say that, but then at the other side, I go, well, that may or may not be true because there's a whole lot of people that don't have horses in barns. The more I look around, um, in my county, there's about 400 horses and there's four barns in the entire county. And the reason I know is because when we try to do these um, barn fire simulations, I was looking for a barn to do it in, to smoke up the barn and, and practice, and I couldn't find hardly any. <laughs> so, wow. I, yeah, it was a little bit of a challenge. But then again, I don't live in Wellington. So when you go to Wellington, Florida, yeah. you know, everybody has a barn. So that's just the way it is. In fact, they've got... Uh, I think they said 14,000 barns in, in the Wellington area. Anyway, wow. So, uh, and then of course, if you got, if you're showing and you're doing those kind of things um, you, or eventing or whatever, you've got to clip your horse in the winter and that's just the way it is. And then you've got to think about how am I going to protect them from the elements? Cause it's not fair to them to clip them and then stick them outside. So, you know, how am I going to blanket them or whatever? And then of course there are the problems with insects and sun sensitivity and those kind of things. So, it, the management is different. I'm not going to say it's easier. I'm just going to say it's different. And it's you know different. that, Wendy. From well, I, yeah. And I, you know, the first one you have need a place to store stuff. We have bear. And uh, if you, when we had horses down in the lower field, you have to make sure it, the feed is bear proof. Yep. We've had yep. them in the barn too, actually. So. <laughs> like, yeah. And this is, this is just an example. You know, it, it depends on where you live as to whether or not people think that barns are, are worth the, the investment or not. If you live in, in Wellington, Florida, and you're trying to attract people to your barn, you're going to have to have, um, you know, a barn because people have expectations for that. But if you live in Jones County, Georgia, that may or may not be true. So anyway, and I pulled up Culpeper, Virginia. For those of you that have never seen this, you can actually go to the Ag Census data through the National Agricultural Statistics Service, which is a USDA thing, and you can pull up by county how many horses and, and facilities and how many dollars are spent on the horse industry in your county. Now, that's a sampling, okay? It's not exact. It's not from your IRS data. It's just a sampling. But uh, still, it's usually pretty close. So anyway, so what are some of the things that we need to think about before our disaster? You know, hey, you know, let's think about how we did our fencing so that it makes it easier for us if we lose the barn. Um, how do we think about keeping different kinds of horses? Obviously, stallions make things more challenging. Mares and foals uh, in pairs make it, make it a little bit more challenging, how we're going to handle those kind of things. And then, of course, the big one is because of fescue, um, how do we handle our horses that have EMS or the possibility for laminitis or those kind of things? How do we manage those fat old horses or the PPID horses or the EMS horses? Those can be a bit of a nightmare. Um, so we got to think about all those kind of things. And I will tell you that what I always tell people is put up an electric fence first, see what works because electric can be moved with a step in post really easy. And horses, they're, they're smart about electric. 
But if you practice with that and get them used to it, first of all, it's great for disaster training. But second of all, where you want to put your fencing. And if it doesn't work, you can just move the step-in post. Once it works, then you can put in your permanent fencing if you decide to do those kind of things. And um, that's just sort of a disaster mindset. Um, this is what I use. This is uh, my feeding stocks that I use for my horses. I actually have um, some rubber mats in there now. This was when I just put the, the gravel in as my base. But I have found that really good. They, they use it for hanging out. I'm in Georgia. I don't need a lot of wind block. I don't need, <laughs> although the other day we had 30 mile an hour winds and I was like, wow, where the heck, I, when did I move to Oklahoma? Anyway, <laughs> uh, usually wind block is not our problem. It's the rain and the sun. And um, they use these for hanging out. It's really funny because they'll stand outside in the rain, but as soon as it gets hot and sunny, they'll go in these things, just use it, use it for the shade. So sort of cool, you know, Feeding stocks are pretty simple to use, and the, the reason that the military and uh, a lot of professionals like them is you feed lots of numbers of horses, and they have to leave each other alone because their butt is pointing out, and no horse is going to mess with another horse when their butt is pointing towards them. They can protect themselves, and then the horse has time to be able to finish eating his feed. So anyway, this is, geo, this is some of the new products that are out there. Um, for handling the problem with mud. And this happens to be in um, Australia, but it could be anywhere. And uh, looking at how can we make sure that our areas that we know where horses are gonna stomp or we're gonna bring them in for feeding areas or whatever, how can we manage that um, to manage the mud? And of course, this is a little bit more expensive per uh, unit area. But man, does it hold the, the soil nicely. So that's what the, the um, polymer looks like. And then you put your, your gravel or whatever you're using for yeah. the, the base over top of that. But man, it works really nice. Some people splurge. I'm not really a huge fan of concrete, but that, you got to do what you got to do. And this person um, has the concrete is their only option because they're using that, that piece of property and it was already there. So they've tried to manage it as well as possible. Um, and she actually has her security camera on it. So even when she's at work, she can take a look and see what the horses are doing, which is sort of cool. Um, you know, so she's got the options. She's got a little barn as a running shed and also access to the pasture. Here's some other examples of other ideas that people have, you know, multiple fences. It, it, a lot of it comes down to what was there when you bought the property. You're sort of stuck with those fence lines at that point, unless you want to move them, which is <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. And so and cost, a lot of cost. Yeah. Cross fencing and those kind of things. Uh, what areas are you going to use as a sacrifice paddock for your EMS or your PPID kind of horses? Um, just thinking about those kind of things where horses can still see each other and, and, and still be buddies. And I always remind everybody, hey, you know, is anybody else doing this? And this young man, uh, I, don't, I'm, I, I watch him and I'm just like, wow. Um, he just won gold at the Olympics and this is all in his horse. And he actually, it's pretty cool. He's got his name on the side of the barn, but he doesn't live in a barn. He's got access to a paddock um, and just a run-in shed. And I think that's great. And yes, he is actually barefoot too. So I knew you would love that because you have to deal with feet all the time. Yeah. So there you go. But anyway, you know, it's, it's not just um, those of us that, that have trail horses that are doing these kind of things. This is a picture of a different kind of um, polymer that allows the grass to grow up through it after they've put their their pat and that that looks really nice too she said the horses run and turn and, and buck on that and it works great so there's lots of things that are coming out in the industry that are going to allow that mud control 
um, as people have started realizing this was really a huge problem for the horse industry, we got to get better at trying to not lose our soil. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and the other piece of that yard. is when it's a solid surface, you have runoff problems. So by ha the, I mean, some of the stuff's called gravel pave or grass pave. I'm yep. sure there's a lot of other ones now, but by allowing the water to go through, you're not creating those runoffs. Um, I was in Tennessee and where I was staying, it was like all asphalt. And I'm like, where's all that water going to go? It was all downhill. Exactly. exactly. It all goes downhill. It's awful. So, I look at things differently now, having had you gotten webinar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Thank goodness. So yeah, other examples, you know, and again, thinking about fencing and how you're going to cross fence and how you're going to shut animals in and keep them on their on their dry paddocks at certain times of the year and those kind of things. And you can see the difference it makes. This is uh, Dr. Shay Poor out in Kentucky. This is some of her photos and you can see what happens once you get that base in there and do it right versus the areas where over time the horses just have stomped and worn it out and they just destroy that soil. So it works. And lots of examples from around the place. And then of course, uh, the other thing that you can think about, and again, this would be nice to think about before a disaster so that you've got these options, is thinking about there's a lot of people that have gotten into track systems um, where the, it forces the animals to move because you've got the water at one end, you've got hay at other ends, uh, you've got grazing areas in between, and it sort of channels horses in groups um, to, to move through areas. This is one of um, the peeps that I follow on Facebook, and she's got some really cool stuff where she's put all these little things, little toys and things along the way, and she says she even goes out there and distributes treats for them to find and, and it increases those behaviors where animals are seeking or looking for things and then she's got shade trees where they can hang out they sort of get to make a choice as they go around with their various enrichments and you know what's really funny is the zoos they have to do enrichment if you have a, an animal in a zoo they usda comes around and checks to see if you are doing these enrichment things to keep the animals from going crazy so those are some ideas that uh you know Horses love those sand pits, by the way. I brought in some sand to my place and they love it. <laughs> and then of course, if you're stuck with a barn and you don't want to use the stalls um, at that point, you, maybe you haven't lost the barn, you just wanna change things around and, and try some of these ideas. Uh, this is an example from Wisconsin, but this gal, you know, she converted what used to be a barn into more of a run out uh, capability. And of course, if you do that, you, you wanna think about the the horses that are sort of lower on the totem pole they need to be able to get out away from the the angels of the world i have a horse named angel and she's a dark angel she's very good to people but she's not good to other horses and she will take advantage of them if she gets some you know and a horse that's where horses get hurt so we always have to think about a second exit um, making sure they get plenty of room to be able to get out of the way if something goes wrong or a horse decides to be aggressive uh, resource guarding or, or whatever they're doing um, so we got to think about those kind of things but it can be done. And uh, this is what you were talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> run and shed flipped over. I wanted to remind everybody, you can have, even if you have run and sheds and these kind of things, you can have disasters. This is one that Mustangs to the Rescue sent me. And she said it was really weird because like nothing else had moved around. It must have been some weird little bobble in the thing, just, boop, you know, knocked the whole thing over. It's what happened. Is, I mean, it was a weird, li li just looking at the way the thing flipped and nothing else was touched. It was a strange little wind and it just, you know, and ours was much more solid than this. It was like wood beams and 
and it just and you think it'll never happen it they got to be tied down because yeah. the wind will definitely play along with us. It's like a big sale, you know. Oh, somebody just had that happen to their farm last month. Yeah. So I was laughing because, you know, here I, I live in, in Georgia, and when you say prepare for snow, and it's actually going to drop down almost to freezing tonight, so, of course, we're oh. panicking. And uh, we always think about this, right? You know, it's going to be a blizzard. It's going to be a whatever. But for some of you guys that are watching, you're, you're, you're living it right now, or you live it every single winter, right? And, and this is just proof that, you know, it can be done. Um, and you can also have those problems, even even if you own a barn, you can still have uh, significant problems with the snow. And well, snow and the loads. problem with the barn and snow is those horses are then trapped in. You can't get them out. That's right. You know, so. that's exactly right. And then that really call, you know, now you're talking to the fire department and the fire department is probably dealing with other things at the same time. If there's a that much snow, they're probably dealing with other human disasters at the same time. So uh, other things to think about. And of course, this is one of those, again, disaster mindsets. If you need a windbreak, um, you know, these trees didn't grow overnight. So that's 25 years of disaster mindset, getting that windbreak growing so that the horses can use that as a windbreak or a shade um, area, those kind of things. But uh, what can you do, even if you don't want to build a run-in shed, what can you use for an emergency windbreak? Um, is it going to be uh, a fence that's solid, or are you going to use um, trees? What are you going to do? Just, just thinking about that ahead of time. Plant those trees today. Have, <laughs> have you been to New Zealand, to South Island? Never been to South Island. So, so when I got to South Island, this is back in the 90s, I noticed these amazing hedges. Like They were like you know, 30, 30 feet tall, and they had big machines that would trim them. So isn't that interesting? And then the winds showed up. <laughs> and that's when I knew why they had those tree breaks. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Alberta is the same way. You know, the wind comes over the, the Rockies and it just goes across Alberta. And I have been foolish enough to be there in February and March before. And the wind with the, the snow and everything else in it, but everybody has some kind of a windbreak and the animals are not dumb. They're like with their butt toward into the wind and they're yep. standing there and uh, the snow is like curling around and, and banking and, and basically is filling it in. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So what, what are the things from, you know, uh, emergency hay access and, and a lot of people are like, well, my horses eat, you know, they don't eat off a round bale. And there's some people that you know, there's, there's different opinions about round bales, and I know that there's lots of stuff out there, and there are legitimate concerns, particularly if it's not covered and it gets wet and it can have um, other problems. But under emergency circumstances, when you don't have employees and those kind of things, you may have to think about round bales and how are you going to do round bales? And of course, um, you know, where, even where you're going to source your round bales if you had to. Under these kinds of conditions, what are you going to do? So I always tell people, what's your emergency hay access? What are you going to do? It's nice to be able to feed those square bales every day, but if you're limited in people and uh, disaster situations, what are you going to do? So water sources, um, how are you going to, this is one of those ones, Wendy, and I've mentioned it before, where people say, well, I'll just call the fire department and they'll bring me, you know, <laughs> a thousand gallons of water. And it's true, they can. But if you don't have a place to put a thousand gallons, they're not going to sit there while you fill five gallon buckets. They want to be able to come in and dump 500 gallons in one thing and 500 gallons in another thing and be gone. You know, they got other things to do. And so you got to think ahead about those kind of things, too. And then, of course, 
if if you're the biggest disaster we seem to be having these days, if it's not a flood, it's a drought. So what are you going to do for a drought situation? And there's many cases here in Georgia, right down the street from me, where people are tr trucking in water during certain parts of the year because the aquifer is being drained. Wow. So, you know, they don't have city water. They've got a well, but their well runs dry. So what do you do? Or if you don't have power for your well because you're in a disaster situation. So what do we do? Uh, you got to think ahead about having those 100-gallon or 500-gallon tanks to be able to use for that, which is also a disaster waiting to happen if you've got foals or young horses. They will play in them and end up in them and, and all those things. But, you know, that's Well, and then, of course, you got to think about in the wintertime when your water freezes. Um, <laughs> did I mention I live in Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I watch those things with all the water heaters and stuff, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you survive. Um, well, course, what we did was we got a, a grant from the CREP program and put in cattle water feeders, and so they never yep. freeze, which is really, yep. really nice. But and, and I absolutely think that is a huge uh, disaster prevention thing right there, uh, putting in the really good waters where you don't have to worry about that. that absolutely. If I lived where you guys live, that's what I would have to do. Yeah. Um, these are some pictures from uh, Mergem's up in, in Kamloops in, in BC. And she sends these pictures and, you know, it's like um, they have the emergency shelter of the trees and then they blanket them um, when they really need the extra um, protection from the elements. Uh, but the same thing, it can be done. And, uh, you know, those horses look pretty dang happy, nice and fat. Of course, a lot of that comes down to if you live in areas where it's really cold like that, you make sure that those horses get plenty of fat built on um, as fall is coming into winter. So um, other ideas for emergency, being able to feed the horses uh, <laughs> under, under duress. Uh, I don't know what I would do if I lived in Georgia and we got that much snow. I would be like freaking out. No, actually what I would be doing is yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because when it does snow, it usually is about two inches and it's gone within uh, 18 hours or so. <laughs> and then of course, feeding. So feeding is always a nightmare um, when you're under disaster conditions and you don't have your individual stalls. Uh, what are you gonna do? This is some ideas. The nose bags, I've used nose bags before. They work great. Um, they, they are something that the horse needs to get ahead used to ahead of time. A lot of trail horse people use these things when we're, when we go out on trail situations so that we don't have the fighting and infighting over, over feed. Um, but you don't want to just strap it on your horse. There are some horses that get really upset about this the first time you put it on. There. So um, this is just some examples. And of course, the problem is always, what do you do with the animals that this one needs this much feed and this one needs that much feed? So how do you handle those kinds of situations? So if let me just say that nose bags should have uh, holes in them for water drainage if you have water nearby so you don't drown your horse. <laughs> Sadly, I have heard some stories about those things and that is that is unconscionable. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, well, the, and so, you know, you just have to, if you are gonna use nose bags and they do not have w ways for water to come out, you cannot have a water source. The other thing is you can't take it off of one horse and leave it on the others because he will attack the other horses, which I once made that that error, and I I have learned my lesson. I had two horses in a trailer; they had nose bags on. The one finished, I popped it off. I went looking for fuel for my truck. I came back, and she bitten the other guy like crazy. And I felt so stupid. <laughs> Not stupid. That's just that's part of the learning thing, and that's what we're here for, right? 
yeah. is to learn from each other. You're exactly right. So it's just right. really important if you're going to use nose bags. And those guys can put their noses down on the ground to get the feed. Um, yeah. In Africa, we used to use it. They have to toss it, and then you wind up with problems. Um, Respiratory problems. Right. They've changed right. their feed system, but yeah. So it's yeah. just, you know, you need to think about those before you just slap it on your horse. Yeah, very, very true. Other examples of, of you know, thinking about these kind of things. This could be a great disaster setup, you know, very quick to set up, um, gives the animals some shelter. Uh, you can use just electric fencing uh, to be able to, to give your horses a safe place to be if you needed to do that under, under duress. Um, other examples of using uh, some of these track systems or the agriculture ideas to get the animals to move around. There's water over here. There's hay over here, a loaf, loafing shed and shelter over here, windbreaks over there sort of forces the animals to to move around. Uh, lots of examples of that kind of thing. This is one I really liked. Um, you know, they actually split this in two so that the animals that uh, need access 24-7 to grass because they're thoroughbreds and they they are they need a little bit more uh, calories. And then you got the two fat ponies that, you know, you don't want to get out there and they have to be restricted on their grass area. So they can still communicate, they can touch each other, they can be part of the herd, but yet they have the separation. So the, there's lots of ideas where people have gotten really innovative on doing these kinds of things, and it's totally applicable to a disaster situation. Um, this is another one. Uh, this is a gal in, in Canada doing the same thing. You know, uh, how do you set this up? How do you, I, I actually started doing this too. She had the idea of, hey, why am I wasting all this grass on both sides of my freaking driveway? I've got a driveway that's, you know, 600 feet long times 10 feet on each side of the driveway. Why am I not using that? Why am I mowing it? That's dumb. That's, that's what I do. So I put a gate at the other end and I've got uh, control gates in between and I can put my horses out there. They can eat the grass. And once they get most of it off, then I come out there and sort of neaten it up. So it doesn't look like, you know, idiots live there, but I, I want it to look pretty, but at the same time, I, I'm like, why am I mowing grass that should be going in my horse's bellies? And you know how that is, Wendy, because it's fertilized and mowed all the time, it must be really sweet. So I can put them out there for an hour. They like, and they take it down to this. And then I come through and get the weeds and, and, and get the rough, but it, it works really well. So these are some examples of, um, you know, people all around the world are doing these kinds of things. So Another example um, of doing the same thing, using that concept of a loafing yard with some kind of a, I like this because it's nice and open. They've got some of the plexiglass kinds of, um, of windows, windows, you gotta be really careful with glass. So um, yeah. how can the animals have a little bit more light to come in there? Uh, lots of times people like the concept of a dark stall so that the flies tend to stay out of those kinds of things. but what whatever works for you so other than that that's what i wanted to talk about tonight wendy is this concept of you know thinking about some of the concepts of pasturing and paddocks and how can we practice for our disasters ahead of time um using some of these change changing ideas and and really working on welfare because we keep saying hey you know animals need to be going out animals need to be going out so how can we come to some balance for our animals under those kinds of situations, particularly if we already have moved into a place where we have um, the typical uh, looking place, how can we make that a little bit better for our animals? 
I encourage you guys to take a look at some of the equiculture, equicentral ideas, um, because Jane Myers and her folks have been working really hard on trying to get those ideas out to people. Is that sounds like another guest? Have you I need to hook you up with her. Yes, yeah, I do. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, because, you know, I've implemented a pasture uh, track system for the past couple of years. And like right now, I was using one field where I still had some grass and I was constantly moving the fence. So they have to go all the way around to get there. And then we've had some snow, but they're standing all the way out there. And I know they can or at least once a day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. is great. You know, it keeps them moving and uh, it's really keeps great. them moving. Yep. Yep. And so um, somebody was saying some of that, um, uh, the subsurface stuff is becoming popular enough. You can find it at Home Depot and Lowe's, which is great. Uh, and uh, okay. So Janella always loves your presentations. Just want you to know. <laughs> so, yep. Thank you guys. And it's great. It's great because, you know, it's, you can never hear this stuff enough in terms of thinking it's not only for the welfare, but it's also for the safety and making sure horses can go out in different situations and especially like electric fencing so that you can quickly put, like my fence was all snow covered and on the ground. And I went out and, you know, reefed off all the ice and snow from all of it, but it's not running hot right now because it's so, but, and, mm -hmm. but they still respect it. They're like, Oh, it's an electric fence. I can't go there. So once you my try dad's got a bull in, you know, it, it's literally maybe 18 inches off the ground with a really hot electric fence. And what he found was that once that bull had touched it once or twice in his life, he never goes close to it anymore. Yeah. So every once in a while, my dad will go out there to check it. And he's like, damn, you know, there's some problem with the electric fence. But the bull's like, mm -mm, I'm not getting anywhere near it. <laughs> so yeah. obviously, consistency works well. Yes, it does. <laughs> and know, it's honestly, great. Wendy, if I ever am, am, am going to be tortured, I'm just, if they bring out the electrical, I'm just gonna be like, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to say? You know, I'll tell you now, because I just, the electric is just not going to work for me. Yeah. <laughs> or it works really well, one or the other. Depending it works on really well. I respect it. Believe me, I am like totally fence phobic because I got stuck on one once and I, it's, <laughs> I'm very respectful. All right, Rebecca. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And we look forward to having you back as always, because you always have great topics and everybody loves you. So well, thank you. Awesome. And I will hook you up with Jane Stewart Myers too. Awesome. Great. Thanks everybody for joining me. Just remember you can find this and all the other webinars on the Sherwood Equine YouTube channel, and I will add it to Rebecca's playlist. Um, so that makes it easy to find all of hers in one place. Everybody have a great night. We'll see you next week and take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye.